Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name's Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How are you doing today, Cecil? I'm feeling really good today, man. How you been? Good, good. You know, um, at the beginning of the, uh, or at the end of last year, uh, my family and I said, you know, we want to get ready for Avengers Infinity War, right? So we've been showing right. a, a, a MCU film here and there to the girls, but they really didn't, haven't seen it like all at once or even lived through the 10 years it's taken to get up to Infinity War. Right. So we decided once a week to watch an MCU film a week. So, so you've been watching like a lot of movies, man. Like, what are you up to right now? Right now, we just finished Thor: The Dark World, and a, a cool thing is that you know my eldest daughter and I we're doing like our rankings, and they really hate Tony Stark. I mean, it's shocking <laughs> how much they hate Tony Stark. It's like my eldest doesn't like Tony Stark, and my youngest she like loathes Loki. You know, so it's it's pretty fun to to kind of see how they you know see the whole story from week to week and you know how their views change depending on what happened in the in the movie at uh, that we're watching that week. So, we actually just bought tickets for Black Panther last week. So, oh, are you planning yes. to go take your kids to go see Black Panther? So, we considered it and normally we would, but my wife is like, "You're taking me to see Black Panther on Valentine's for Valentine's Day." And I'm like, <laughs> "Yes, ma'am. No kids." Okay, I got it. I get it. When the boss speaks, man, you got to listen. Yeah, and I told that to a couple uh, of friends of mine. And they're like, you have the best wife ever. I'm going to have to Netflix that. <laughs> oh, man. So I actually tried to see if we could get opening night tickets. And those tickets are selling out like crazy. Yeah. Um, so we actually ended up getting tickets for Sunday afternoon. And then I made sure I got the reserve seating too. Because I'm, I'm definitely not going to go in and, you know, rush for a chair and you know end up sitting in the front row or anything like that so we got some pretty decent seats for sunday um so i'm like i oh, could dude i could wait two dude, days we, that's cool. we totally do that like we'll go there like an hour and a half early right we'll we'll chat with like all everybody around us you know and you know we we love doing that it's like getting there early and now seeing all the excitement and everyone you know wants to be there it's part of the experience you know i don't mind that I just want to make sure that I have a good seat when I get. <laughs> I'm all for I'm all for checking out the costumes and all of that type of stuff. But like when it's time for me to sit down, I'm not sitting in front of the screen. I'm not doing. That. You know, one of the things that we're doing that's a little bit different is that we're going not through release order, but chronologically, because their release order is not necessarily the the order that it happened in the MCU universe. So it's a little different, like Guardians 1 and 2 are back-to-back and things like that. Yeah, I got you. I got you. That makes sense. It's, pre- it's pretty interesting. Cool. So what's new with you? I know you got your Switch, your Nintendo Switch, a while ago. And uh, you've been playing Zelda, and you've been telling me how much I should play mine. So when I actually went on uh, one of my recent trips, I decided to, why not? Hey, let me fire up the Switch and let me download some games and whatnot and try it out. And so I actually played... Um, zelda on the switch over um, for like a couple hours on the flight and it's actually pretty good it's a really addictive game man like you could spend hours like just finding like little interesting things to do in the environment so i've been i've been doing hundreds of hours bit. not hours i spent hundreds of hours <laughs> 
So I haven't gotten to hundreds of hours, but I, I, could, I could see that <laughs> happening very, very easily. So it's a really cool game. So one of the things I actually ended up doing was, so for my second trip, I went on, I got a, I got a traveling case, I got USB-C cables. I actually even got um, an HDMI um, output cable. So now I could plug it into like my hotel TV if I needed to. So I got a, I got a bunch of little traveling accessories for the Switch. So that's that's been pretty cool too. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those perfect traveling video game on the go type thing. And it's it's not like a it's not like the 3DS where you get pared down games or games that were great 10 years ago on a tiny screen. It's like you got this nice beefy screen that's right in front of you and you know like you said it's just an HDMI cable, boom, plug it in and now you're just you're, you're gaming in your hotel room with a, a, a regular controller and it feels great. And you know what I, I notice is I've never actually used the dock that came with the Switch. I only ever play oh. with my hand. Because um, for me, it's just it's just more comfortable that way for me. You know, I don't know what it is. Well, no, I use it in the dock all the time because my daughters want to watch me play. Right. And so it's just easy just to, to throw it in there or keep it in there and then let them watch. Yeah. So I haven't shown Cameron to switch it, and I have no intentions of showing it to him anytime soon. <laughs> I'm like, there's enough, there's enough distractions in the house for you to focus on. This is mine, and it will stay in my office, and <laughs> you don't need to know about this. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of like where I'm keeping it for now. Excellent. So who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to Laura Hogan. Laura is an engineering leader, coach, and consultant at Wherewithal. Laura is also the author of Designing for Performance, building a device lab, and demystifying public speaking. She champions engineering management as a practice, helps people get comfortable public speaking, and believes it's important to celebrate career achievements with, uh, with donuts. So you can follow her on Twitter if you need to, and uh, we'll make sure we have her Twitter, her Twitter page on the, um, in the show notes. This episode was recorded on August 28, 2017, and now our conversation with Laura Hogan. And now, away from the keyboards feature conversation. So for this episode on Away From The Keyboard, I'd like to welcome our guest, Lara Hogan. What's going on, Lara? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on the show. Let's start with this. For all of our guests that might not have seen you before, heard you speak before, why don't you give us a little bit of background about who you are? Oh, wow. Okay. So I am currently the VP of engineering at Kickstarter. Previous oh, to that, okay. <laughs> previous Whoa. to that, I was an engineering director um, at Etsy. And oh. I've written three books and done a bit of public speaking. That's awesome. I think I'm officially unqualified to talk to you. Yeah, me too. Um, so sorry. So someone else is going to have to run this one. We're going to have to switch out hosts real quick. Yeah. I don't know how this is going to work out. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> so, so Laura, tell us a little bit about how exactly did you get started in the technology field to begin with? Yeah, I feel like my my story is a lot like many people's uh, start stories, which is uh, you I want to build from, video games. <laughs> believe it or not, um, I I took the HTML tutorial on Neopets, which was oh, okay. uh, a game uh, many years ago online, right. and they had you could it was you know like Tamagotchi, but for for online digital pets rather than ones that are in your pocket. So, right. yeah, I had I had some Neopets, and I was also really into Lord of the Rings at the time, and so I wanted Ooh, to build okay. a guild. Every you could build a guild for your pets. In retrospect, I've no idea really what that meant, but there was like an HTML guide that went along for it, and that's kind of how I uh, how I kind of got started. Nice. You wanted a guild of doors. 
That is that's good of you. <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm, I'm basically a self a self taught front end web developer. So I got my start building websites for charities, for other small projects, side projects. I ended up becoming a wedding photographer. I needed to build a website to showcase my work for my clients. And my first job straight out of college was like a project manager for a tech company, and I was able to do a bunch of HTML newsletter design for them as well. Nice. So I want to talk about the Lord of the Rings thing. It's kind of pretty interesting. <laughs> okay, great. So when I was younger, I used to watch The Hobbit, mm-hmm. but not the um, not the you know not, not the, the big action. cinematic Hobbit, yeah. but like the old cartoon Bilbo the, the animated Hobbit. one. The animated Hobbit. Hobbit, And I love that show. Were you a fan of that show too? Did you have you seen it? (laughs) No. I really Ah, got into it with the big cinematic. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no, I loved um I got really into New Zealand around the time the Lord the Lord of the Rings movies came out. Actually, I have a whole separate story about that. But yeah, I was really into the to the live action (laughs) Lord of the Rings. That's fine. I'm not holding it against you. It's cool. I'm definitely (laughs) telling you you should go check it out. His beard was impressive it was super impressive yeah that's crazy <laughs> so you said you were you went to new zealand is that what you're saying Hello, uh, no i just got really into the idea the idea of new Ze- i don't know i oh, was okay. you know like i was trying to figure out i was i was young and i didn't know what i wanted to be when i grew up so i figured you know i could be a shepherd in new zealand there was a lot of sheep in new zealand or sure. i really thought about um moving to new zealand and learning how to be uh, one of the special effects folks that work at Weta that's based in New Zealand. And then my third oh, right. <laughs> option was I decided it'd be fun to become the ambassador to New Zealand. So I ended up going to, to college and studying originally international studies, actually, thinking I was eventually someday going to be an ambassador. It didn't it didn't work out that way. <laughs> really? So you, you did international studies. So then how did you end up deciding to get into a career in technology then <laughs> yeah it took it took many years before I kind of pivoted I took okay. one semester of world politics and realized that the world is super mean and I just had no interest <laughs> in being a part of world politics um so that I think a lot of us feel that way too yes. <laughs> totally yeah so I ended up um switching majors by the end of of college when I graduated I graduated with a bachelor's in philosophy and a bachelor's in visual media nice that's awesome two two very common things right there <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not really sure why my parents permitted me given that they were funding my college you know i'm not sure how i, how I got away with studying philosophy i i studied um for the visual media part i studied street documentary photography uh including a little um semester abroad in prague Ooh. oh wow how was prague i've never so i've never been to uh, that side of the world before. So anytime anybody says, oh, Prague, oh, Germany, oh, South mm-hmm. Africa, mm-hmm. I, my ears automatically perk up. And I'm like, oh, tell me more about that because I've never <laughs> experienced that before. What, what do you mean? That side of the world without a beach? Is that? <laughs> it's a little colder oh, over there. My God. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot colder over there. But no, I definitely haven't been to the other side of the Atlantic before. So I definitely love to hear about your experience over there. Yeah, I, you know, funnily enough, I didn't have like a really fun time abroad then I've since been able to travel a lot thankfully and have had a much better experience but the the semester that I studied in Prague it was the longest and coldest winter that Eastern Europe had had in more than 40 years um the joke this was this was real that in the newspapers one day in my first couple of weeks there there was a story about how they had to move the penguins at the zoo inside because it was too cold (laughs) What? It was miserable. I was miserable. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Like and again I was studying, you know, street documentary photography and it had only been like maybe a decade or, or two since um since democracy kind of came to Eastern Europe and so I uh right. I I studied photography in like this basement with like 
enlargers from the 50s. It was very desolate and very sad. Yeah, Super great. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a good character building semester abroad. It was a very dr- gray semester. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is comical because, you know, I was studying photography, right? Which meant that all of our photos in the program came out so gray. We had to, I don't know if you're familiar with printing photos yourself, but you, you can put filters within the enlarger to kind of up the contrast of your photos. You're only supposed to put in like one at a time of different thicknesses. And we ended up just layering these filters on top of each other just because there was just no contrast to be had with the grayness of Prague this winter. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, the only thing you can really do um, with a, with a uh, bachelor's in street documentary photography is to go into wedding photography, and that's, that's kind of how I, I started that business. So do you still um, kind of do photography as a hobby today or actually do you even still do wedding photography? No, no. So I, yeah, I stopped. Um, I realized I liked I liked my weekends uh, and my weeknights. And so I ended, you know, when I graduated. That's understandable. Right. I had this, you know, full-time basically side job of, of running my wedding photography and portrait photography business on top of my day job, you know, doing doing effectively project management and front-end web development. So it got to a point where I chose the one that paid me better and also had health insurance, which I feel like in retrospect was a pretty smart move. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> so I know I have a lot of friends, for instance, that they do a lot of photography as kind of like a hobby, right? Like they're not getting paid for it and it's not a super intense thing that they do all the time. But, you know, it's, you know, they'll go out to the beaches or... You know, they go on vacation or anything like that. And, you know, they have their SLRs and they're all taking like hundreds of pictures like every time they go out. (laughs) Totally. I have this and I have this buddy of mine. He actually took the pictures from um, our baby shower, which was like five years ago. And I still have not seen them. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) because he's he's one of those people that he decide he wants to go through all of the pictures individually. And he's very meticulous about he's not releasing the photos until he's touched them up. Mm hmm. And I'm like, dude, at this point, like, I don't care. Like, just give me the pictures. Like, I really would love yeah. to see the pictures, please. Aww. Dude, you could look like Kim Kardashian in five years, man. <laughs> I, I, I could look completely different, you know what I mean? Like, please just give me the pictures, man. Like, can I see the photos, please? Oh, yeah. But I think outside of that, too, like, I think, you know, just going out and, and you know, if you're into, um, you know, just going out in nature and, you know, looking in the scenic, you know, being in the scenic um, space of things. It's really relaxing to kind of just go out and just be outside and take pictures. Yeah. Because you, know? you kind of capture those moments that, you know, when you kind of get to look back at it, it, it has so much, you know, so much memory behind of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And thank goodness for things like Instagram now where like, you know, you can have all of these memories so handy. What What's one of the things that you miss about taking pictures? So I really, the reason why I really enjoyed, you know, working with clients was I was able to make them really happy. That's kind of been like a primary driver of many of the various careers um, that I've tried out. And for me, just the ability to like take these photos and like bring them back. I mean, hopefully more quickly than, than your buddy <laughs> does with I uh, hope so, their photos. Please. Yeah, but I, I really enjoyed, you know, really making people feel you know, have these really positive, beautiful memories of this incredibly special time. I did wedding photography. I did engagements, plenty of family photos. And I also, towards the end there, I I also really got into birth photography where, you know, you're in the delivery room when when the couple, often the couple that I had been photographing since they got married would be giving the birth to their kid. And that was, it was just incredibly special to be a part of that family's journey. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about too. So I know you, you know, you, you, you know, you're into photography and like you mentioned before you work at Kickstarter. But one of the things that that really draw me to asking you to be on the show was the fact that you have this book called The Simifying Public Speaking. And I kind of wanted to talk to you about that because me and Richie are both 
I guess you could call us technical public speakers. We do a lot of talks about technology, software development, databases, that type of stuff. And, you know, I'd really love to hear your thoughts about public speaking. Um, probably even let's just start with, you know, how did you even get started with public speaking in the first place? And then we can kind of go into, you know, some of the tips and tricks that you've seen over there over your time doing that. Oh, yeah, great. So I wish I had a succinct narrative, <laughs> like an interesting story about getting into public speaking. But truly, so my, my mother is a Methodist minister. So I got to watch her give a talk effectively every <laughs> week, which is just incredible when you think about it for how many decades now she's been getting up and, and giving a 20 minute speech um, every week. It's like really, oh, it just floors me every time I think about it. So thankfully, I grew yeah. up, um, you know, watching her do that and feeling like it could be a natural part of someone's journey, especially. So I ended up starting to give a couple of talks at work. I tried to give talks at meetups, like little, little things here and there. And the first really big conference talk I gave was in D.C. a few years ago. They had invited me to come speak, which was just incredible. I didn't know how they had... Um, how they'd even found me to talk about web performance, you know, speeding up websites. And it was actually, it was, again, I'm going to say like a character building <laughs> experience, that first talk. Yeah, it was, um, it was, how do I put this? It was an interesting challenge. <laughs> I got a lot to, a lot to learn from. So I, um, as I was standing by the side of the stage and they were introducing me, you know, you know, I mean, you, you guys have both given, given lots of talks, like, you know, they'll give you sure. like a little bio of you. They'll introduce you. They'll welcome you to the stage. Um, and as I was standing there listening to my introduction, I realized they were, they were reading the biography of a person who definitely wasn't me. And it wasn't just like Ooh. they, they had, you know, switched, switched spots or something. Like I, I had this realization standing off stage, like they had invited genuinely the wrong person <laughs> to go and oh. give his talk which then I had to get up and give a keynote I had technical difficulties they um they didn't they had forgotten to turn down the lights so no one could see my slides they they had unfortunately been unable to provide any water so I was like really parched on stage like uncomfortably parched um oh, I remember uh someone asked a question about animated gifs uh in the audience at the end and I thought that they were making a joke so I laughed and they definitely we're not laughing. Uh, it was just, it was, uh, yeah, formative, character it, building. It was a little awkward day. Yeah, yeah, I'll say. Train wreck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, if, again, you know, like, you don't stop there, right? You got to keep on trying to get better, trying to be um, the actual person that they meant to invite <laughs> in the future. Yeah, it was a lot to learn from. And you're kind of thinking about that experience. For me, I would say I am never going on stage again, even though it kind of sounds like a, most of that, Probably all of that, none of that was really your fault, right? <laughs> you know, but as a, as a first-time speaker, just, <laughs> I, you know, saying. you already have the nerves of going up and doing it, right? Like, so now you got to be like, oh my gosh, like all these other environmental things I got to do. Yeah, I definitely tried really hard. I definitely put in a lot of preparation time into that thing. And I think that that's, that's one thing that, that stayed consistent since then is like, I, I, I know that I'm not an improviser and I should work really hard at rehearsing a lot um, before I actually get up on stage. I think that's the hardest part about doing large conferences is that there's so much that you don't control. Mm. Like if I was speaking in a user group, I, I could probably bring a projector and I have a screen and I could just throw in my trunk and, and off we go. And if, Hey, if their projector goes down, Hey, I got one right here, you know, and we'll just, you know, put it up together, plug it in and, and off we go. But at larger conferences, sometimes you don't you can't even put it in your own laptop. And you have to use their computers up there. And it's like, okay, yeah. I have no control over anything that's going on in this room. If something goes wrong, then, you know, from the audio to the lights to anything, 
you're at someone else's mercy. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, the audience is totally rooting for you when that happens. Like, yeah. I mean, unless your audience is full of total sociopaths, they're probably, they're, they're right there with you, right? They're hoping that you can succeed. Uh, they're like rooting for you. You know, it's, it's, um, yeah, thank goodness, as much as scary as that stuff can be, your audience generally has your back. Do you have any particular things that you do when you're just preparing for a talk? Oh, yeah. Like, you know you get a talk in two weeks. Like, <laughs> like, what's your process like? Yeah. One of the interesting things that I've found about, you know, talking to other speakers is that everybody is super different in terms of what makes them nervous, what their fears are. My personal public public speaking fear has to do with tripping and falling while getting on stage. But now that I've done, I did a lot of research ahead of the book, I've learned that a lot of people have different kinds of fears. So in the book itself, I actually walk through a ton of different kinds of ways to approach preparing yourself, preparing your content, preparing the room, preparing what you're wearing, all of that stuff um, ahead of time to kind of tackle tackle the different fears or, or nerves that you might have as you approach getting on the stage. For me personally, just like you, it has everything to do with, with practicing my content a ton because the thing that I want to be able to do most is make it through that talk without totally going off on a tangent uh, without tripping or falling and making sure I'm, I feel prepared also for, for Q&A. You know, Q&A was one of those things that really like freaked me out. It's like, well, what if I don't have, know the answer? And, I'll, oh, and I, I would always get like all, you know, worried about it. And, and then I finally realized is, wait, none of us have all the answers. And saying, I don't know, but I'll find out and let's talk afterwards is perfectly normal. Totally. And it's, a, it's, it's an appropriate answer. And yeah. hey, you know what? I'm not sure. And then, hey, does anyone else have the, know the answer to that? Maybe they do. <laughs> maybe they don't. But you know, it, it, then you start having a conversation, which is a totally different type of Q and A. It sounds like you may have read my book. <laughs> those oh are definitely, no! But I'd love are, to. <laughs> <laughs> those are two big, big tips that I give in there. Is like different ways to handle saying I don't know gracefully uh, when you're on stage and you genuinely don't know the answer. Ian, it's always good to get that crowd engagement. The thing is. That works for, for user group settings, and I don't know, maybe I have 60, 70 people in the room. Mm -hmm. When you're standing in front of, I don't know, a stadium of people, and there's light shining in your eyes, and you can't even see the people's faces, right? Like, now you have to find out, like, different ways to deal with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Because you can't have a conversation in that such a large room of people. I think that, again, everybody's fears are different. Some people prefer to um, see every, to be able to make eye contact with everybody and see everybody's faces. Other folks prefer the, the sea of nothingness, you know, being blinded by the stage lights and with a, a room so large you can't make eye contact with anybody. So, yeah, I, th I feel like everybody's nerves are different, which means that people may prefer, you know, different sizes, different amounts of lights, all that. Yeah, I'm totally the eye contact guy because if I find someone just that's not, not paying attention, it's like I start tunneling towards that person and I'm like, you will pay attention to me. <laughs> it is my room. Yeah. So one of the things that I've been doing just before my talk starts, so let's say my, I'm going to go on in like 15 minutes. I like to kind of walk the room a little bit, you know, particularly if I could get the opportunity to just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with people that are already in the room and we could kind of start having the dialogue before I officially start giving a presentation. Yeah. I think it kind of loosens up the air for both of us, us being like me in the audience, because now like we've already started to speak. Now you hopefully you feel a little bit more comfortable and more able to ask questions, right? And a lot less, you know, intimidated by doing that. Oh, yeah. And then me, I, I feel like I've had made some connections with you. So now as I'm moving around and I'm talking, like I can look at 
that person. And it's like we're continuing the conversation. It's just that I'm talking to you and everybody else in the room at the same time. <laughs> you're lucky if your nerves are, are that low before you get on stage that you're able to have a conversation with people before you get on. So I, I'm good at masking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nervous I am. And I'll be honest with you. So I've been, we've been speaking, and we being me and Richard, we've been speaking for, for a few years now. And the nerves don't go away. Day one, I was nervous. And, you know, five years later, I'm, I'm still a little nervous when I go up and I talk to people. You know, it's it's the fact that you're prepared and you're ready to go that kind of helps curb that a little bit. But I think I've just gotten a little bit better in terms of managing that outwardly. You know what I mean? Because before, like, I would go in and I wouldn't want to talk to anybody. Right? I'm like, don't talk to me. Leave me alone. I'm just going to stand here until they say go. And then I'm going to go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the thing I really try to hit home with the book and whenever I give talks about the book's content is that we all are still nervous forever. The vast majority of public speakers, no matter how long they've been doing it, no matter how great they are at it, how, you know, together they seem uh, up on stage, we all, you know, there's a high probability that we're all still pretty nervous inside. I know you must have, you must have traveled to like tons of different places because I can imagine you going all over the place, like giving talks and whatnot for both for your work and both also, you know, talking about public speaking and the concept in your book. So do you have any, for instance, travel tips for, um, for speakers? Absolutely. So, um, and I, this is not all stuff that I've invented myself in the book. I reference a ton of speakers with whom I've spoken, who give me the most pro tips on this stuff that I've absolutely used myself. One friend of mine, Anna, she, Anna Debenham, um, she creates a notebook for herself of the future conference venue. She writes down everything and prints everything out about where the venue is, where it is in, re in relation to the hotel. Um, she takes photos, she looks online for photos of the inside of the of the venue to see what kind of stage it looks like to kind of ready herself for when she ends up getting there. But also in case she loses internet access at any point during travel, she loses her luggage, something else happens, she still is prepared. And then afterwards, she goes down, she goes back to that same notebook and writes down observations about the venue, the tech setup, and anything else. And then she shares it with other speakers so that in case they speak at the same conference, the same venue in the future, she has like a record of it and what it was like so people can prepare even better in the future. You know, that's a pretty good idea. That should be a website or something. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I feel like she open sourced it. Yeah, on GitHub. I should I should dig up the link. So when, when I travel now, I take two laptops with me, for instance. And so I could use either one to give my presentation. I have demos and slides and stuff like that copied on each. The problem for me is that, well, laptops are heavy, right? And now I got to go through, like, I'm not putting it in my checked luggage because I don't trust that. And I have my bags with me going on the plane. And so now I got to go to TSA. I got to take the laptops out of the bag. I got to put them back in my bag. You know, I don't always want people to know that I have two laptops on me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like a, oh, okay, here's the guy with, like, all these machines. Like, I'm going to watch him mm -hmm. kind of thing. I kind of feel like, you know, you have those eyes on you. But then on top of that, though, I have to bring, you know, different cables. Um, I don't know what type of connectors they're going to have for the projectors. I got to have different adapters and stuff like that. And so what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to put together like a little kit, get like a little bag. I should have done this like years ago, but, you know, <laughs> sorry. But um, I'm trying to put together like a little kit of, okay, hey, I'm going wherever, pick up the kit, put it in the bag, and we can just go. Right? And it'll just have all, you know, the connectors, cables, plugs, the pointer, whatever I need for me to just kind of get up and go get to work. Yeah. You know? I'm surprised you don't have that already. Wow. That's what I'm saying. I should have had one. <laughs> I had that for I'm years. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Speaker confessions, I'm not always as prepared as I should be. But 
I'm working on it. Yeah. Also in the book, I give a whole packing checklist, especially for newer folks who aren't sure, you know, what kind of clothes are good to wear on stage, what will hold up to the weight of the battery pack, or what will make too much sound as you move across the stage, all all those sorts of things. If people are looking for a packing list, uh, I hope to have provided a helpful one. You know, one thing I've been listening to people talk about lately is how also how they dress when they go mm. to um, to yeah. give talks. And not necessarily about style or fashion, but more so about, hey, do I have a lot of buttons and mm-hmm. zippers? Things like that. Like, so when I connect the mic, am I going to hear a lot of clanking? <laughs> totally. You know, do I wear a lot of, do I hear a lot of, wear a lot of jewelry or is it bright and distracting clothing? Like, you know, like some very subtle things that you could do. To kind of just make it an easier experience. Yeah, there's so much involved, especially for women and non-binary folks, about you know what can you can wear that will not just make you look professional and like you're taking the event seriously, but also so you don't just get gendered feedback after the uh, after the talk is done. Yeah, exactly. I think those are very important things. But it's like some of those, you know, some of those. I guess like we don't always think about some of these things, but there's a lot that goes into just getting prepared. Mm-hmm to give a really, you know, a really good talk. Tons. So tell us a little bit about why is it that you decided it was time for you to write a book about public speaking? Hmm. Um, I, I found myself acquiring a ton of information, again, just from like talking to other speakers on the road. Um, and I also recognize that most of the books that are out there don't necessarily have things that would be really critical to know for members of underrepresented groups in tech. So um, stuff about codes of conduct, uh, stuff about, again, handling that gendered feedback, gendered harassment, um, preparing yourself uh, to go up against questions during the question and answer the time that may be more targeted towards you because you don't look like the the typical speaker at a tech conference. So I really wanted to write something that would be super inclusive and help to prepare, you know, marginalized people, members of underrepresented groups in tech to, to get to get up on stage and like keep them safe and help them give a great talk. So when people want to download, buy your book, I'm guessing I can get on Amazon. Like, where are some of the places that? Yeah, I if you go to abookapart.com, you can absolutely find it there. They right now I think have a huge a huge charity event going on right now for the victims of the hurricane. So definitely check that out. Oh, great. Awesome. Um, and then otherwise, you okay. can visit my website, larahogan.me, and you can find links to all my books there. So, Laura, tell me. So of all the places that you've traveled to, like what are some of the places that you've been? Like your favorite places that you've been <laughs> I to? I finally got to New Zealand this year <laughs> after all those years you did? Oh, of wow. wanting to go. Yeah. <laughs> did you sleep in a nice. Hobbit home? Because I would I totally do I definitely that. went to Hobbiton. Um, I also, okay, here's a ridiculous story. So when I was getting ready to go to college, again, I was thinking about those different career options. And, you know, one of them was was working for the special effects studio, Weta. So I was like 16 years old. And I wrote a letter to the head of Weta, Richard Taylor. And I asked him what I needed to study in school in order to like, graduate and go work with him in a special effects studio. And he wrote me the most generous, kind letter back that was, it was less about what I needed to study and more about like the philosophical approach to you know, watching Blades of Grass and thinking about the world and thinking about the impact that you're having on it. It was incredibly generous and sweet. So when I finally graduated from college a few years later, I wrote to him again and said, hey, I'm actually not not going to go into special effects. But I, you know, this letter made a huge impact on me. I ended up studying philosophy and yada, yada, yada. And he wrote back again and said, cool, if you're ever in New Zealand, like stop by and say hi. <laughs> so... <laughs> More than 10 years later, <laughs> uh, I dropped his assistant an email uh, this past January, and I said, hey, here's copies of all of our old correspondence from when I was a teenager. Um, can I come say hi? <laughs> and we coordinated, and I was able to get um, 
like have the most amazing inside scoop, like four hour tour of Weta. Um, it was like a, I, I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, so I can't tell you about it, but it was incredible. <laughs> and it was like totally a dream come true. I am totally jealous right now. Like <laughs> It was awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. So did you take a lot of pictures when you went to New Zealand? I loved, yeah, it was gorgeous. I mean, the, I mean, it's just like you see in the movies, you know, but like it's in real life. Um, yeah. yeah, all the sweeping landscapes, all the big mountains. It was just, yeah, it was a beautiful, I cannot wait to go back. Wow. You went, wait, you went to Weta? Yeah. And got the Adam Savage tour? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Those gosh. videos also of him uh, talking with Richard Taylor are really entertaining. And everybody who's listening to this podcast should go check them out. <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> I should have studied philosophy. See, that's where I went wrong. <laughs> yeah, they're very that's nice. They're, the the folks of New Zealand are incredibly, incredibly generous. Like, how was the culture there? Like, like talk to me about like the food and the people and and you know, like, what was that your general, you know, your general vibe oh, of the place? Yeah, but mainly no, the food yeah. because that's what Cecil really wants to know. I, I didn't want to just make it sound like I was one sided. Yes, I do want to know about the food. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. Every I, everyone who I met there was was incredible. I went there for Webstock, which is a which is a conference, a tech conference. All the speakers were amazing, but but the way that they hosted us and all of the attendees was just phenomenal. From um, just making us feel like we were included and a part of the community to there was actually a code of conduct violation that happened on stage there, and the organizers did a phenomenal job of of addressing it in a way that made me feel like, gosh, I want to move to New Zealand. The, the people here are so incredible and again generous and authentic and just like frankly so much more kind than americans are i would love to yeah i mean sorry mom sorry dad but i would love to move to new zealand i see i've never uh, been to a conference that had a code of conduct well, well at least not that i know of nor that i saw a code of conduct violation what for those of us that haven't had that experience what what's that like when you know someone says something or, or does something that makes someone else feel uncomfortable or yeah. threatened I mean, it's it's really the spectrum um, of things that you know a code of a well written and well enforced code of conduct makes it really clear what kind of behavior is unacceptable and what the organizers will do about it. So, in the case of Webstock, that has a really phenomenal, explicit, and well enforced code of conduct, it was clear when the speaker made a violation. It was also clear directly after what the or how the organizers would act upon that. Um, so, from my perspective, and I've been through really subtle code of conduct violations that I followed up on. I've been through, uh, I've experienced code of conduct violations by by vendors at a conference from other attendees at a conference. And, you know, again, the spectrum of things that you can imagine humans will do happen. But but frankly, if, if you can, I would definitely recommend only speaking at events that have a really clear and again, well-enforced code of conduct. I think it's going to make the whole industry overall, um, frankly, a, a better place to exist. Have you ever had that type of experience when you had to oh yeah to deal with any situations? Oh, like that? absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I am an underrepresented group uh, member of an underrepresented group in tech. Like it has, and I've been in tech for ten years now. There's a a statistic I've been hearing a lot of recently that keeps on ringing in my ears. It's that forty one percent of women at the ten year mark in STEM, so science, technology education and medicine uh, leave the industry after those 10 years. So I'm hopeful that uh, I can not be a member of that statistic. So Laura, we're coming close to close to an hour. So I I think it's about time I ask you the question okay, of the show. Uh-oh. 
Do you want to ask her the question, Richie, or should I ask her the question? No, no. See, I can't break the flow, man, because you, you've been doing it now for, what, 70 <laughs> episodes or so, so you got to keep it going, man. All right, gotta keep we got to keep it going. So, Laura, I want to ask you, why don't you tell us, what do you do when you're not working? <laughs> what do you do when you're away from the keyboard? Yeah, when I'm away from the keyboard, I am powerlifting. Excuse me? What? what? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I was noticing also that a recent guest of yours, I think, also does a lot of lifting. I think we're starting. We're starting to see a, see a trend here. <laughs> uh, we may, we may. So, so how did you get involved in powerlifting? It doesn't seem like something that you get into easily. <laughs> um, I had the good fortune. I've been doing strength training for um, a number of years, and one of my trainers um, actually got uh, got an opportunity to go be an actor on the Jessica Jones series. So uh, yeah, so he had a, someone sub in, her name is Shannon Wagner, and she is a powerlifter and a person who trains other people in powerlifting. And she was like, hey, we could do your normal strength training uh, workout, but like, what if, I don't know, what do you think about powerlifting? And I was like, yes, <laughs> that sounds incredible. And yeah, I've been doing it ever since. That is amazing. How many years have you been doing it for? Oh gosh, uh, not well, <laughs> a handful of years. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Half years. Okay. Yeah, it's it's great. I definitely recommend it. Um, no, that's pretty cool. To, again, I mean, I keep on talking about underrepresented groups in tech, but but it's one of the things that's definitely helped me so much in my career. Just feeling that inner strength and feeling like, um, you know, it, it it's something like watching your body transform as it gets stronger and stronger has been personally really empowering. And so it's something I I definitely recommend to other to other marginalized groups as well. Do, do, do you ever you know encounter someone that is maybe being a little salty towards you and think at the back of your head and it's like I could lift four of you? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I think that I you know <laughs> I could arm wrestle you right now on this conference table. It's yeah. <laughs> So, something like from Rocky Three, I will break you. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so Jessica Jones, though, I I, I was such a big fan of the. <laughs> I, I'm a little floored. It's like I was such a big fan of the comic way back when, um, and and just of the story in general, and how emotional the story was, and then seeing it on screen was was crazy because I knew what was coming and I knew how uh, how emotional and 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 insane that story was. Um, how did how does she get that gig? I mean, how does anybody get gigs in 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 on shows like this? I'm confused. What is going on these days? <laughs> I mean, I live in New York. You know, the, ah, it's. Okay. <laughs> I'm yes, sure that yeah, helps totally. tons. I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy that knows someone exactly what you need. Yeah, it is really. It's amazing to see. He still trains me. Actually, he um he still does acting and also uh, strength training. And so it's really funny every time he's in a different thing. I'm like, oh hey, that's Ryan. <laughs> I'm just here thinking. Like, I really want to ask you about, you know, like training advice. <laughs> yeah, safety first, man. That's that's the biggest. That's the biggest thing. Like, always have a yeah. spotter. Always have someone helping you with your form. I feel like powerlifting is definitely a a solid team sport in that way. So, so one of the things I wanted to know for for folks, because again, I, I've never powerlifted. I, you know, I don't lift that much weight. But um, is your routine primarily just all? Um, obviously, it's just mainly lifting. But is it all lifting, or do you do any type of cardio or anything like that to balance it oh, out? Or? I hate cardio. No. Oh. Yeah. I mean, people. Some people like Shannon loves running. Um, I do not. And so, yeah, my routine is one hundred percent strength training stuff. So whether that's accessories or just regular old. Uh, bench press squats and deadlifts yeah i would much prefer to lift things up and put them back down again than uh than get on an elliptical so when you're traveling how does that affect your your workout regimen because i always find for me when if i'm out for a week like my workout is shot 
<laughs> yeah, hotel gyms are not very frequented by other people. <laughs> so I definitely, I that you know, the heavier the dumbbells, uh, the better in those in those situations. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So do you you don't travel with um, training equipment? You just kind of use whatever's there no. at the hotel. Yeah, sometimes I'll I'll call around. Like when I did go to New Zealand earlier this year, I called around to find like a gym that would give me a couple of free days to come by and you know use their equipment. But yeah, mostly hotel room gym hotel gyms are like not too shabby. Cool, nice, awesome. You won't find like a squat rack in there, but you can do plenty of accessory work. We'd like to thank Laura for being a guest on the show. It was great to have the opportunity to chat with her. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AFTKpodcast and on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where you'll get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access for the way from the keyboard. Nice and away from the keyboard, we'll have Moms Who Code founder and Science Tots founder, Erica Peterson. Yeah, that's a fun one. Really super interesting, too. Yeah, her background is really interesting to hear about. So I think this is going to be a really good episode for everybody. Come on back. See ya. Bye. Peace. want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego! how they'd even found me to talk about web performance, you know, speeding up websites. And it was actually, it was, again, I'm going to say like a character building <laughs> experience that first talk. Bridget? I can keep talking about it. I'm happy to keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so, I'm, I was on mute. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was like, I, I, Cecil, I thought you were going to, nope, 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 nope. Okay. I was on mute. I, I totally apologize. That, <laughs> no, see, cool. no, this is one of the set. This is one of the times when things will get cut up. <laughs> cool. One of the times we cut up a lot, Cecil. Come on now. Well, there'd probably be a couple cuts, but yeah, this is this is one of those moments. <laughs> we cut a lot.